Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Everyone that is still uh, quarantined, obviously, if you're listening to this way in the future, then hopefully this should bring back great memories of uh, COVID-19. Yeah. Well, but great. I don't know about great. Winger only likes COVID-17. Oh, boy. But we're, <laughs> we're experiencing COVID-19. There's songs about 19. Uh, there's got to be. Oh, yeah, there's a Steely Dan song. That's on our Steely Dan episode. Look at that. Check out hey, our Steely Dan episode. Hey, 19. That's the Look song that. on there. Hey, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we are in the middle of um, a uh, We just safe, had an executive order. Yes. Yeah, Tulsa it's, did. It's, it's like safe for shelter or shelter at home or safer at home. Something about that. Something like that. I feel yeah. like the word shelter's in there, but I can't think of how it's phrased. But, you know... It's just us two in a room, so, you yeah. know, and it's, it's, it's like it's kind of our job, so, you know. Kind of. Yeah. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let the authorities triangulate our position. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, this doesn't stop us from doing, if anything, it kind of frees us up to really oh, yeah. pursue this a lot more intensely. I've been at home a lot, listened to a lot of music, so. Yeah, I was talking to my wife about how, like, for content creators, this is like probably best case scenario. Yeah. Because not only do we have the freedom to really work at this a lot harder, but also you guys have pretty much nothing better to do than to just digest content all day. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you saw from our Instagram page, uh, we've got about 36. This will, this will be number 37 that this will be attached to. 37 episodes. Okay. So uh, go binge a bunch of our older episodes. Mm-hmm. Get caught up because very soon we're going to start doing some volume twos. I'm, I'm Ooh, finally. Yes, we are. I'm ready to finally start revisiting some of our um, some of our older artists. Mm-hmm. So, we just listened to one earlier. So yeah. It's coming. Yes, it's on the schedule. So, yeah, this is a good time to just go get caught up with... Uh, all, everything that we've put out so far, and uh, also will with all that extra time, you can uh, take some time to leave us a rating, leave us a comment, check out our um, social media pages. We've got Facebook and Instagram now. Everything that posts to Instagram goes straight to Facebook, so you're not missing out if you're getting one or the other, but I'm finding that I'm probably going to work more on Instagram and just mm-hmm. let that self post to Facebook. Mm-hmm. We're already getting a couple of comments. Yeah. So as in uh, people tagging other people and Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So def- definitely tag your friends in our posts so they can see it and listen to our uh, podcast. That really helps mm-hmm. spread the podcast to uh, everybody. And then you can talk about the podcast with your friends cuz you got nothing better to do right now. Yeah. So uh, and I just wanted to – I said that we would do this, and I'm finally going to start um, start doing this, um, start reading some comments. Oh, yes. We, we have very rudimentary comments. We haven't really busted out a lot of the, um, a lot of the deep discussions. Mm-hmm. We'll do that. But um, at the time, these comments, Muse was the, the newest episode out. Yep. And so um, we've got uh, R. Anderson, which is a – which is a good friend of mine, Rachel. Hello, Rachel, if you're listening. Uh, she is a fan of Muse and 
commented on our release for that that it's one of her favorites. So, oh yeah, we're glad that you uh, like them and that you hopefully enjoyed the episode. And she's actually uh, also someone that's left a comment for us on iTunes. Ooh. So, thanks. oh right, we're on iTunes. We're on everything. Oh yeah, we've been on <laughs> iTunes forever. It's Spotify that we still can't crack the code. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you on that. So we'll we'll figure it out. We'll just have to email Anchor about. Yeah. 25 times. Yeah. That, that's how they fixed our doors episode. I just, I kept emailing them and bugging them. Yeah. And then they finally yeah. answered me. And now Anchor's good. <laughs> uh, also in the link, there's a link in every episode description where you can go to a page to where you can support this channel. Um, I am, I think now our new big project is going to be setting up a Patreon. Mm-hmm. That's, I've kind of decided. And I think that while we're quarantined, that'll be the perfect time for us to brainstorm on exactly what that page will look like. But right. until that goes up, um, this is going to be the best way for you to support the channel for the monthly donation. This will allow us to uh, upgrade our equipment, get more research materials, and just overall kind of you know push us forward to making this podcast as big and as best as it can be. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then, you know, subscribe, whatever platform you're listening on, uh, share with other people, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, let us know what artists you want us to look at next. Um, in fact, I haven't looked at our iTunes comments in a while. I wonder if anyone's sent in any more, um, any more, uh, suggestions on who to, who to, oh, looks like we've got someone asking for Sonic Youth. I've never heard of that band. Uh, from oh, I know Sonic Youth. Okay. They're not a they're not a band that I've done a lot of um, research on, but I I like several of the songs that I've heard. So whoever give me my pizza crust is, <laughs> um, I will take that. In, we need more nineties. Yeah, I, think, I mean, the, we did Soundgarden, we, we did, did Nirvana. Yeah, we've done Red Hot Chili Peppers. Which, uh-huh. I mean, they're not just nineties, but they were. That was like their biggest time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a couple of 90s metal bands. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe not. Well, we've got one coming up soon. In a couple weeks. We do. Yes. So, well, you probably didn't know that's what decade they were in. Probably not. But they are. Okay. It's kind of in the 80s, mostly in the 90s. So, hmm. um, yeah, but the 90s is, a, is an area we kind of, we should do some more of. So, thank you, whoever Gimme My Pizza Crust is. We're going to take that into consideration. We do listen to your guys' feedback. I promise. Yep. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, quarantine, shutdown, coronavirus. It's completely, like, disrupted the entire world. Yep. Basically. And, and it used to be that all the headlines are um, people, like, you know, bands postponing tour dates and concert dates and right. albums getting pushed back. Mm-hmm. But now, anytime that I read the headlines, it's people saying, uh-oh, so-and-so from this band has the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to really get pretty serious. I kind of right. made fun of it a little bit a couple episodes ago. Yeah. And I'm eating my words a little bit now. I'm still not, like, terrified of it. I do believe that it's going to blow over. And if I used to... I, previously thought that by now we would be done with it but yeah me too honestly you know now it's looks like it's going to be a couple months probably before yep. we're on lockdown until the middle of april mm. um, oh that's right but now seeing that and not only are people contracting it but we've got a couple of deaths 
mm-hmm. from the coronavirus. No one, like, no huge stars, but I would say the one that was the most, um, the one that stood out to me the most was the original writer of the song I Love Rock and Roll. Oh. So Joan Jett did not write that song, in case you did not right. know. Right, I remember you saying something about that originally. I didn't know if I had said anything about it. Maybe I had. Maybe you said it to me, and we were in front of the microphone, but the microphone wasn't on. Because this <laughs> this only happened like 14 hours ago. Oh, wow. So I don't well, think... Well, I mean, you talking about how Joan Jett didn't write that song. Maybe. That's what I mean. Maybe, yeah. Um, Alan Merrill, uh, it says he passed away at 69 due to the coronavirus. Oh, man. And then another big name is, uh, he hasn't died, but he, they're saying that he is in critical condition. Uh, John Preen, who is a, like a country folk artist mm-hmm. from the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. He got, uh, nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple years ago. That's when I had first heard about him. Mm-hmm. I had never heard of him before. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And I can't say I've still listened to any of his music, but I know the name now right. due to that. And, and he's an older guy, and they're saying he's in critical condition due to the coronavirus. So, yeah. you know, social distancing, make sure that you guys are practicing it. I was a little... Um, flipping. Flipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the word I was going to use. Yeah, I was <laughs> flipping about it a couple episodes ago. Um, now that I'm seeing that this this, this virus is a serious thing... Please make sure that you guys are staying healthy, mm-hmm. um, and uh, while you are social distancing, it's the perfect time to listen to us blather on about music. And listen to the music that we blather yes. on about. And then, yeah, go check out all these older episodes. I know that I'm for sure going to make Grant here listen to all of our old episodes. Oh, yeah. You will. So this is, this is your chance to, to brush up. I've, I've been listening to a lot of Ghost. The, the ghost episode really is has grown on me. Yeah. And so, but I'm running out of ghosts because they only have like four albums. Yeah. Yeah, so, we had a we had a pretty intense ghost debate last weekend. Mm-hmm. Over which album was the greatest? But, yeah. Uh, I insist that it's Infestissimum. Uh, I think it's prequel, but you know. Whatever. To each their own. Listen to our ghost episode, and you can decide for yourself. Yeah. So. Alright, well, let's go ahead and move on to this week's episode and this week's band. A classic band. Oh, absolutely. One of the the great rock and roll groups. Sometimes it's fun for us to do these smaller bands that are more um, influential rather than, like, everyone knows them. I would say this is a little bit of both. Oh, man, everyone knows Aerosmith. I mean, everybody knows them. And everyone knows. Oh, by the way, the band is Aerosmith. Yes, uh, <laughs> and everyone knows at least two or three of their songs. Right. Oh, I agree. With and that. I would say they're that, also influential. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm. I meant in the sense of like a band that is more underground, like a band that we're going to talk about next week. Yeah. That's that's more of a influencer rather than being a huge name unto themselves. Although I guess they kind of are, but. Not in the way that yeah. they are name-checked by, like, people that mm-hmm. aren't even into music. Yeah. Even if you listen to, like, Top 40, everyone knows who Aerosmith is. Yep. I would say everyone's heard Dream On, or I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, or Walk This Way. Oh, that is an Aerosmith song. Yeah. A, a Aerosmith song we'll probably never talk about, because this is the Good Music Podcast. Oh, wow. Shots fired! Boom, 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 boom! <laughs> 
Okay. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, I won't say it's a bad song. Um, it's just Aerosmith has much, much better. Oh, yes. As we'll see today. Certainly the first four songs of our list. Yeah. Ooh. Are just fantastic. So, a little bit of a spoiler here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, Aerosmith is just one of those bands. They're in the, the top tier pantheon. They're up there with Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Certainly in popularity. Yeah, in, popular, in popularity. I would say that they've got a large enough catalog to be of hits to be up there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're just looking in this episode at the 70s. We're going to do a whole... Right, they had a whole other comeback season. Yeah, after we'll, we'll, the next time we come back to Aerosmith, we're going to look at that that late 80s comeback. What I would say, the greatest comeback in music history. Oh, yeah. No, I would not disagree. Um, just as how low they were, and mm-hmm. then how... they were. I would say they were even bigger and better. It wasn't just that they had a comeback. Like, they, I would say, hit their prime at that point. Mm-hmm. So, you know... Which is crazy to think after listening to all these songs. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, any any band would be immortal with the 70s run that they have. But yeah. then to have that 80s, 90s run after it, yeah. I mean, just they're, they're in the top, top level of, mm-hmm. you know, I would say the top 10 greatest rock and roll bands of all time, they're in it. They're up there with The Who. and Maybe not my personal favorite, maybe not your personal favorite, but... No, I, and that but I'm matter. saying this, I'm, I'm talking, talking about purely yeah. from an objective standpoint. Right. The number and of I would agree with that. the number of great um, cross generational songs that they've written, their their longevity, their their iconic nature. Um, yeah. I mean, just to have all these members that like just transcended their group to just become, you know, these monoliths unto themselves. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many people that. Maybe don't even know Aerosmith, but I know who Steven Tyler is. Yeah. Because he's just become that kind of figure. Yeah. Um, you've And you've also got a, a, a legend like Joe Perry that's just, you know, mm-hmm. worshipped by about every guitarist that came after him. Well, not every. Well, I would say every <laughs> every guitarist that came through the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. That's that's true. Um, which we'll talk about He has a some more really dip. good phrasing. Yes. Uh, solo wise, yeah, but I mean, just Aerosmith. It's yes. it's nice to every now and then just kind of do an episode on one of like the big big ones. Yes, and so they have a cool name too. Yeah, I mean that's just one of the coolest names in rock and roll. So uh, let's talk about who is Aerosmith. That is a very good question. So I can't really describe him because I've known them for a long time, or mm-hmm. of them for yeah. a long time. But if I had to, I'd say they're like a 70s-started rock group. There's five of them. There's mm-hmm. uh, Steven Tyler. you got Steven Tyler, the vocalist, um, main, the, and the main lyricist. Ooh, okay. Um, he, Joe he, Perry, who we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Who, is, who is actually the rhythm guitarist, which I just I recently learned about that. I mean, he does what? play lead lines, but he's that's kind of more what he's known for is is laying down the rhythm. Mm. And then you have uh, Bill Wyman on. No, that's not the right name. Hold oh on. boy! Oh, <laughs> I, no. I promised I wouldn't do this. Oh, I think because I because I think uh, <laughs> he's looking it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm. This is terrible. I totally named someone that was in. Uh, um, 
in Rolling Stones. Brad Whitford, that's who I was trying to Brad think Whitford. of. Yeah. Who is the other guitarist. Who's the other guitarist. The, the lead the, guitarist. The lead guitarist. Um, and then you've got uh, Tom Hamilton on the bass and Ooh. Joey Kramer on the drums. Ooh. And it's been the same guys for most of the their career, minus a brief time in the early 80s when both guitar players left the band. Ooh, but okay. then they both came back. Okay. And that's and, the and that's the current lineup right now. And that was because of of the band dying out. That was or... because of a lot of drugs. Okay. We'll, we'll get into that. Okay. Cool. Oh so... man, one of the one of the biggest drug implosions of a band ever. <sighs> okay. Well, um, let's start with how they formed. Yes. How their name came about, all that stuff. So, I guess. I mean, Steven Tyler is kind of the start of the band, but he also wasn't the one that started the band. Um, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so, the band was formed originally by Joe Perry and uh, Tom Hamilton. But, okay. really, they kind of joined Steven Tyler rather than Steven Tyler joining them. Because Steven was a little bit older than them. And he was already kind of establishing himself as... Oh, kind of like a Tom Petty kind of Yeah, thing. he, um... They're a Boston-based band. And... Uh, so, Northeast. I and, would not have guessed that. They yeah. seemed very West Coast. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're an East Coast band. And he just was the kind of the... He was becoming, like, the local big guy vocalist there. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Joe and Tom were kind of the the younger guys that mm-hmm. were just the, that idolized him and like came and watched all his shows. Mm-hmm. And um, when Steven kind of got rid of his other band, he was just like, "Hey, come on, let's let's join forces and and create something new." So it's like Joe and Tom were already together. So it's mm-hmm. like I guess you could say that they were the first of the band. Yeah, but the band but that's didn't. Really but the band didn't truly begin until until Steven teamed up with them, mm-hmm. and then along the way they picked up Joey Kramer from there on drums, and then uh, Brad Whitford was the final addition. Huh. Um, okay. And that was pretty close into them getting that first album together. It was kind of like they realized we need, we need another guitar player to just kind of round out the sound. And mm-hmm. there's a, there's an interesting relationship between the two cars. You've got Brad. That's a very, very clean, very precise player. He's mm-hmm. the more um, scholarly. He's the one that knows the theory. He's done a lot of classical training, kind of went to music school. And Joe is more of the, the sloppy bluesy um, kind of, <laughs> kind of, you know, learned by, you know, listening to the Rolling Stones kind of guitar player. Right. And, you know, he's the one that writes the riffs. He's the he's the main music writer where Steven's the main lyric writer. Joe's writing uh, all the yeah. Joe's writing the majority of the music, him and Tom. I can see it. And so, you know, that's another reason why they dipped so hard in the early eighties when Joe left is because, you know, they lost their key songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um but really if you were to describe kind of Aerosmith's sound, it's like they were the spiritual successors to the Rolling Stones. At the time that the Rolling Stones were starting to lose their steam, which was about 72, 73, that's when Aerosmith came onto the scene. And they got uh, compared to the Rolling Stones a lot, especially on their first record. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you listen to a lot of Rolling Stones, you hear that that's their 
biggest influence, I would say, especially guitar wise. It's a, and I, I kind of made that distinction before reading that when I was really kind of digging into Aerosmith and listening to especially a lot of those early records that I normally had never listened to. Right. Um, the thing that stuck out to me was just like, this is like the next phase of the Rolling Stones. It's the younger, sleeker, heavier, harder version of what the Rolling Stones were doing. Hmm. I mean, because I would almost see them, if anything, as pre-grunge. Almost. Because oh. there's a little bit of sloppiness to the guitar. It's very down-to-earth, uh-huh. like, in-your-face kind of grunge. Yeah, but then, like, you could really put that tag to a lot of 70s rock and roll. Yeah, you can. That's a good point. I would say that... I I mean, grunge definitely borrowed a lot from 60s and 70s rock. Mm-hmm. I would say way more so than 80s. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far to say that Aerosmith was the precursor. I would say that they were one I would maybe the earliest precursor of uh the glam metal scene. Because it's I think it's how they were able to step into that role so well when they came back in the eighties is that they kind of already fit that bill. Oh especially yeah. lyrically. Like they were among the first to just like, you know, double entendres out the wazoo like you know yeah. led zeppelin was already doing it and rolling stones were but aerosmith made it into an art form to yeah. where like every single sentence what had two different maybe even three different meanings all yeah. of them dirty yeah um either in that instance or drug yeah. illusion and so i think that they were they were pre-Van Halen. Van Halen is kind of like the very obvious precursor, but I would say Aerosmith even more so was like, if you were to try and find the earliest indication of who started that movement, I'd say Aerosmith was. Uh, the types of riffs that they were writing. Like, Walk This Way, that could have been a hair metal riff. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I would say it is. Yeah. You know, but and, would, the, and Sweet Emotion, too. Yeah, but those that's like you know eight years before hair metal really begins Mm -hmm. and so so they had their career a very successful 70s career how did it end so they the first album came out in 73 uh it took them until 75 to really like break big Mm -hmm. that was their third album toys in the attic which had uh walk this way and sweet emotion on Mm -hmm. it and those just ended up being kind of the two hits that just pushed Mm -hmm. them that superstar level yeah uh, Rocks came after that, which was an even bigger success. And then pretty much at that point, that's they were, even before the first album came out, they were already heavy into drinking drugs, um, wild hedonism. Like At the time, they were the wildest band in the world. Mm-hmm. No one partied harder, and they kind of wore that as a, as a proud badge. Mm-hmm. But because they partied harder than everyone else, it means that they burned out faster than just about anyone else. You know, it took Led Zeppelin a good seven, eight years to burn out. Um, I'd say the same of the Rolling Stones. But it took Aerosmith a good four years, you know, to finally start to get to the point to where they were so um, stoned out of their minds on heroin to even, like, function with each other. Yeah. 
and just a lot of fighting started between them, to specifically between Stephen and Joe, to where they just hated each other's guts. Was it was it fighting over musical differences? Fighting over like... everything. Oh, they fought over girls. They fought over drugs. They fought over um, the music, just like everything. Hmm. And it, I would say that most of it stemmed from the drugs. Yeah, I they, mean, um, you know, that'd be it. One would run out of drugs, and the other one would get mad because they wouldn't share, and they would start having withdrawal. And they're just like, "Can you just give me some of your drugs?" No, these are my drugs. You can't take my drugs. Oh my goodness. I well, I hate your girlfriend. Well, I hate your girlfriend. Let's 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 steal them and make each other angry. And <laughs> it was just it was this big old mess. Oh my gosh, it sounds like kindergarten. Yeah. So that just that just completely destroyed it. Of course, yeah. it gave them writer's block, you know. Yeah. Um, Steven Tyler recalls in the early '80s, just like he couldn't even like rhyme easy lines because he's <sighs> just like his brain was just so, um, just so clouded with everything that he just like couldn't even function. Mm. They couldn't even make it through full shows without him just passing out on stage. He's, he says it's a miracle that none of them ever died because oh, of yeah. how many how much drugs they took. Mm -hmm. well, so yeah, but wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, they had that they had that window. I would say from like seventy three to seventy six, so three year period of what I would say was that first classic period, mm -hmm. where despite the drugs and the drinking and the wild parties, that they were. still able to make some incredible music yeah and they then, had a hiatus from 76 to not they didn't have a hiatus they just had a, a period of just writing crap music oh the albums were still coming out at that time but, they but just weren't doing well. joe was still joe and joe Tom left still in the band yeah they left in like 80 so they oh, they okay. did two stink records with them and then left they did like two more stink records without them and then finally, permanent vacation in '87. When they came back. Well, I guess technically they came back for, to do the the Run DMC cover of "Walk This Way," which was really kind of the thing that that brought them back together and got them back on the charts and got them into the public consciousness with that music video and a mm -hmm. lot of people yeah. that hadn't even heard of Aerosmith um, kind of got back into into the awareness and then mm -hmm. permanent vacation came out right after that. And that just, that scored so big three top 10 singles. Mm -hmm. And then it was just, I would say all the way up till about 2003, I mean, relevant artists topping the charts, you know, winning Grammys. Mm -hmm. So they, they, that's why I think that the second phase of their career was better because it lasted longer. They were sober during that time mm -hmm. and they just, they had a huge collection of hits from that era, mm -hmm. despite grunge. They didn't change themselves, how they sounded when grunge hit. They just kept doing what they were doing. And, I mean, as you should. Yeah. And and still was were relevant. Yeah, and, and a band from 73, you could argue, out-survived Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. I didn't even think they were from the 70s, like that early in the 70s. I yep. was picturing like... Yeah, seventy eight, seventy nine. No, so they were they were part of the pre punk, uh, pre disco era of seventies rock, which is a 
which was a fertile time. It was kind of when you had like true classic rock was during that time. And I would say they were the best. It's like right after the doors. Yeah. Oh my goodness. They were they were in the at the time that that wow. first album came out, that's when Zeppelin was at its peak popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the Who at their peak popularity. You had the Rolling Stones that were just leaving the peak of their popularity. Yeah. So, you know. Somebody had to. They were, they were the rock and roll band of the mid-70s, I would say. Because, okay. you know, I think about what other bands were. I would say maybe Kiss was the other big rock and roll band of the mid-70s. Oh, yeah. But I would say that Aerosmith was bigger than Kiss was. I would say that they always were. Kiss, Kiss to me is like a, like a pop band mm-hmm. with rock instruments. No, you haven't listened to early Kiss then. You've listened to 80s Kiss, because that's what your dad likes. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. You listen to 70s Kiss, that's a hard rock, almost heavy metal group. I've heard some early Kiss, so I can see what you're saying. Yeah. I just haven't listened to a lot of it. We'll do an episode on 70s Kiss. That would be fun. Yeah. Okay. But I would say that's 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 the band I would say that would have the biggest claim to taking away the the band of the the rock and roll band of the early like early seventies. Right. That's Led Zeppelin, with the Who right. and the Rolling Stones right close behind. But that was Led Zeppelin's time. Mid seventies, that's Aerosmith. Late eighties, that's Van Halen. Mm-hmm. That's kind of if you were gonna break it up, I guess. Late seventies, you mean? Yeah, okay. uh-huh. that's what I said. Oh, I heard late eighties. I don't know. <laughs> I think I said late. 70s. I don't know why. Well, uh, late seventies. Yeah, that it's was on tape, so to speak. So mm-hmm. whatever. Anyway, so as far as like kind of like like pure rock and roll, so, so yeah, I think that um, you know we can go ahead and take a break there, and when we come back, we can start talking about the songs. All right. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Aerosmith and kind of what their 70s era looked like. And now it's time to get into the songs that we've picked for this episode. So, what do we mean by songs we've picked and all that jazz? So, the the part of this podcast that we dedicate to is looking at some specific songs to kind of zero in on some of the qualities of the band, to kind of give like very concrete examples, and to provide a listening list for those of you that either do not know Aerosmith or are generally unfamiliar with them, like if you only know a couple songs. This set of six songs is going to be like your best first impression of Aerosmith, specifically if we're looking just at the 70s. Um, Also, I sequence the songs in a way to where they have a flow from start to finish. You should, hopefully by the end, um, have an emotional reaction to the set and go, ah, that was pleasant. That gave me (laughs) a a nice feeling inside. So the way to find these songs is there's a link in the description to go to a Spotify playlist where you will find all of these songs. Uh, I would highly, highly recommend that you please listen to them. Whether or not you listen to them before or after the episode is up to your preference. Um, but 
even if you know these songs, go listen to them again. Listen to them in the order that they're put in. You might get something new out of it. So, without out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into the first song. Back in the Saddle. I think that this is the best song to start off this set with. It is. It, it seems like an opening song. Is it the opening song on the album? Yes, it is. Okay, good, because that would have been a real waste of a. Opener. Yeah, and this was the song that uh, when Joe and Brad came back to the band, mm-hmm. that was the name of the tour, was the Back in the Saddle tour. But it was an older song. Yeah, right? it's off of the 76 album Rocks. Ah. So uh-huh. this was this was their, their post-success album. They were riding the wave. Okay. So, um, you know, this, this song is kind of like a, you know, a we're awesome kind of song. It really is. But it's also like a I'm back as if, like, you know who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm just, now you get to pay attention to me. Kind of yeah. Song. But, of course, with everything that is Aerosmith, this is also a very sexual song. Well, of course it is. Um, kind of just them taking cowboy metaphors and just yep. doing all kinds of of great stuff yeah. with it. <laughs> but there are cool cowboy sound effects going on if, on the left side if you're listening to stereo, right? I think yeah. Uh, you got um, got some whips cracking. Yeah, and some some, some uh, galloping. galloping, which adds to the adds to the I guess atmosphere. Yeah. This is a really well mixed song. Oh, it is! Oh it's, my gosh, it's, it's a, a well mixed gr- album. It's a great um, wall of sound song to where you've got like this mm-hmm. kind of this barrage coming at you, but at the same time you can kind of hear what all is going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, we find out very quickly in this first song what kind of voice Steven Tyler has. Oh yeah, a real high range. Yeah, I would say. Good lord! Of all yeah. the songs on this set, this is probably the one that he goes craziest on. Just like. He screams all the way through mm. it. Yeah, all the way through. That's true. Um, this, I guess, this song to me, I would say, like it has multiple starting points. Right? There's the starting point where you first hear the guitars, yeah, and then there's when he says "I'm back," mm-hmm. and then it, when it jumps up to A with that guitar riff where both guitars are kind of in. Yeah, the the, the I, guess, when, I guess the verse. Yeah, that's when the song really like kicks into gear, and it's uh-huh. like, oh, okay. Yeah, the song does a great job of building yeah. throughout. It does build throughout. Even though there's dynamically low sections, it's still more than the last go-around, um, which is your favorite song structure. So, Well, I mean, <laughs> this is not what I would call the, the continuous crescendo. Because uh, it kind of goes up, then down, up, and then down. Oh, yeah. But okay. it, in, a, in a way it does. It has a linear direction that it moves in, mm-hmm. going through all the way to that climactic guitar solo. Well, as every song should. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess whenever I talk about that song structure, I'm talking about where we kind of start with, like, nothing, and it just, like, very slowly just, like, builds and builds and builds until it's just this feverish... Like, I take the song One by Metallica. That's what I would say is a good example of a true crescendo song. Where it's where it's a slow right. layering until, like, you get to the end and it's just like, we can't add anything else. This is, our, this is maximum oh, capacity. Oh, I mean, if you added anything else to this song at the beginning, it'd be too much, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. I get what you're saying. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty, it's already pretty high right at the beginning, although it does take that's steps true. up from there. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's a great intro song. Yeah. 
<laughs> I just can't get over that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see why it's Jared's favorite Aerosmith song. Oh, really? Yeah. Jared is Jared is a singer in our band, by the yes. way. Um, I mean, he mentioned that to you when we were listening to it last week, right? He was like, oh, this is back in the saddle. We should do that. We were playing Sweet Emotion. We were picking around on the Yeah, uh-huh. Anyway, that's a little side point. But probably because it also has a, that range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I... I do not envy any singer that tries to sing oh, this song. No, no. But the guitar part is really grooving. Oh, yeah. The rest of the band really grooves like they do on the rest of the songs. And so, like you said, we know what kind of singer we're dealing with. We also know what kind of band we're dealing with. Yes. This and, is... Yeah. It's like, it's... This song does a really great job of balancing a very... It's very loose. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it's in its it's tight in its own way. Like, everyone's loose together yeah. in just the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of hard to describe, which is, again, why it's great for you to just go listen to the yeah, song and you'll understand them, yeah. what I'm talking about. Every, everyone's together. Like, it just it sounds like everyone's having a good time. Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, my gosh, all this music is like that. But um, I, it, it paints a vision in my mind when I listen to this song. And I don't know if I can describe it. And so you had never heard this song before. I'd never heard this song before. And and when I first heard it, it it's still, I have the same feeling every time I listen to it. Mm-hmm. Of like, a, I'm back, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. It, there's there's like a couple of songs you could start off with, but I was just like, there's this is hands down the best way oh. that you can start set. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't think there's much for, more to say about this. Yeah. But, that's a great transition into our next song musically mm-hmm. because it kind of lays back a little bit and then we see even more of their kind of loose, sloppy, groovy side uh-huh. with the song off the same album, Last Child. And it's also the uh, the second song on that album as well. Look at that. It's a great one-two punch. And I was just like, you know what? Let's just, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um so yeah, Last Child, this is this is a song that just, I think it surprises you whenever you're first listening to it, because like... Oh, I did not expect it. When that groove drops, you're mm-hmm. just kind of like, oh, okay, because mm-hmm. you, I think that your tendency would think, let's keep the energy moving after that first song, but then to right. kind of lay it back, that second song, I think provides for a nice um, change of direction. This is, this is the song that I didn't know who it was when you were showing me these songs. Um, and I'd never heard these songs before, right? And so I saw it from the first song. That's how I imagined Deep Purple would sound, because mm-hmm. I don't listen to a lot of Deep Purple. Ooh, we'll change that. And then uh, this song came on, I'm like, oh, this sounds almost like David Bowie. And I'm like, yeah, that's weird. It's, it's it sounds a, like fame. It sounds like fame, yeah. Yeah, but in, in its own weird way, it's still definitely It's Aerosmith. got a little bit of funk, funkiness to mm-hmm. it. Just with that bum 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 That's a normal funk walk up the yeah, but it's also got that blues yep element to it. Just it's songs like these that really make me just go like, yeah, this was this was the next step from the Rolling Stones, which we also got to do a Rolling Stones episode at some point, just to kind of solidify their control of blues rock and roll. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this this song just has a great feel to it. I love the. Um, I, it's hard to to talk about structure with these songs because it's like I don't know what the chorus to "Last Child" is. I guess it's I the feel part, like it's the very it's last the home part. sweet home. I think that's the hook. The I hook. Mean, there's a difference between a hook and a chorus. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, but I would also say the end is not the chorus. It's almost like it's just there's sections. Yeah. Like the <laughs> there's a, another reason why people have to actually go, listen to go this. to the A go to the B, like the A section, the B section. Yeah. Like it's that's kind of the only way I can think of to categorize like back in the saddle's the same way because it's like you know, you have I don't know what you would say the back in the saddle part is. It's I guess it's the hook, but then you you don't always go to the verse afterward, like it changes. Yeah. So, and Last uh, Child is the no. same. It's just it's more of just there's sections. There are sections. And um, I love. I would say my favorite part of the song is when they go to the second section. They yeah. And also when the guitar solo kicks in. Oh man. Okay. When oh, you're right. But I think at the end of the guitar solo, when he does the last child, mm-hmm. just a punk in the streets or whatever he says. Yeah. That's the best part of the I, song. I think my that's favorite moment part. in the song is actually in the guitar solo, and the, you hear the bass in the background do that. That's the part that every time that hits, oh, I'm just yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's kind of just like you it's feel very like they're, forward in the mix. Because you feel the, like they're just jamming. Yeah the, yeah, the two guitar solos are harmonizing there on the... And you hear the bass just kind of really coming forward. Mm-hmm. Um, which, it's definitely them just having fun. Yeah, it's just the the pocket just really is nice there. Oh, yeah. Um, great song. And it starts really weird, too. We didn't yeah, yeah. We, I guess we didn't even talk about the great intro. The, the harmonized intro that Steve Tyler did. Mm-hmm. Um, which... Feels totally different from the rest of the song. Yeah. It almost seems like, and listening to the song, it definitely is a great transition, but it almost seems like it's going to turn into some kind of, like, acoustic, like, sad, dark, and gloomy song. This song does a great job in the set of just kind of, like, subverting expectation. Oh, yeah. Because you you don't expect the, the calm intro... And then you don't expect for that groove to drop after. Yeah, yeah. And I think also you don't expect that guitar solo to come in the way that it does because it the song really jumps up in intensity at that point. Yeah, because it's kind of everything's laid back, everything's a little bit more subdued, but then that the that comes in yeah. and it's just like ooh, it kind of punches you yeah. a little bit. I mean, it, it flows well. It does. It's it's not like dazed and confused where it's like, oh, I guess this is a guitar solo. But it's like, oh, that is the logical progression that should happen. Yeah. Um, so this was an enjoyable song. It was yeah. a great song to kind of like bop my head to while mm-hmm. I was sitting in my hammock today. This is a, <laughs> this is a good stank face song. Oh, yeah. Just, the lemon just, face. Uh-huh. Mm, yeah. What'd you call yeah. it? The, the lemon face. The lemon face. You just ate a lemon, you know? I thought you said the lemmy face. Well... Kind of, yeah. if you just make your mouth into the shape of his mustache. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we've got a we've got kind of a, a a creepy outro with the with the police sirens in the oh, background. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, which with more sound effects. Uh huh. And also, it really sets us up great for the next song. The next song, which isn't completely a fade in, it's more of like a build. Yeah. Um, which is sweet emotion. My favorite Aerosmith song. This is my favorite song. One of my all-time yeah. favorite songs, period. I, I, there's I just, can't disagree with that. I, I can't, like this song too. I can't explain completely why, but there's just, there's, there's something, I, 
something like almost supernatural just about like this song comes on and I just fully invest and plug into it. Oh, oh yeah. And there, there's so much to it. There's the great Steven Tyler harmonies. Mm-hmm. There's the really weird intro with the harm. One of my favorite bass lines uh, ever that. Yeah, it's got what is it? The vocalizer, vocal. That's the thing. it's the um it's talk box. Talk box. That's what it it's, is. It's it's I would I think it's the first hit song to have one because Peter right. Peter Frampton came shortly after with uh, Frampton Comes Alive mm-hmm. when he did you know Show Me the Way and we, yeah uh, Do you feel like right. we do? When I think talk box, I always think Man in the Box. Yeah, but this really was the start of it I guess. yeah and so that's specifically the one where you have like the tube in the mouth and oh yeah and the saliva gets everywhere and uh-huh. it's all gross and... yeah but the intro to this is just <laughs> so it's so smooth yeah and then and then kind of the the drums really kick in yeah i can't tell if there's any drums beforehand i don't think um, it's more of percussion sound of like just kind of having the egg shaker in there oh yeah okay um and then the drums kick in, and Steven Tyler has the sweet... What a great hook. Oh, what a freaking man. great hook. And if he did any more harmonies than he did, it would not have the same feel. Because yeah. Because that first sweet and sweet emotion is is a uh, like a fifth. Like he'll jump a fifth. That's a mm-hmm. dominant chord. Yeah. If you added like a third or a sixth or a fourth or anything, it would not feel as just carefree as it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I guess that's the whole idea. The on, literally, the only complaint I have the song is I want to hear that hook like one more time in the song before really? it goes to. Oh, I don't, it leaves you wanting. More, I know, you know? It, which I mean is part of you know it's actually a good thing because it makes me want to go listen to the song again. Right. But there's just there's a part of me that always is sad when it goes. I mean, the ending section is incredible. It's just like I want to hear that hook one more time. Yeah. Um, and then you get to this amazing rift for the oh, verse. And one of the few times I agree with Mo- Watch Mojo that this is one of the greatest riffs of all time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Watch Mojo. <laughs> because because before that, there's like maybe the guitars are like half of the mix. Mm-hmm. And then. It's they, the bass is still more forward than right. the guitars are. And then the guitars are brought up without bringing the bass down. Uh huh. But and then there's. But I mean, oh. yeah, it's so hard when it comes in. Mm-hmm. And then. They top themselves again with that interlude riff. That oh, I thought you were talking about that one. No, I'm talking about the... Oh, both of them are good, yes. I mean, this song is just... I was talking about the interlude riff. <laughs> this this is just a pack full of... Great riffs. Great riffs. Great riffs, great vocal execution and writing. Yeah, this, this is a song where now we have... Uh, you know, Steven Tyler goes pretty hard on the first two songs vocally, but he mm-hmm. really lays it back on this song. Right, which is weird to think about because this song was actually before the yeah. other two, right? Uh huh. So this is off of the Toys this is in the 75. Attic. Yeah, so this is 75. This is 1975. And oh this song my sounds goodness. so good. And it sounds, yeah. They're, oh my goodness. But it was a tie for me between this song and the next song of which one I liked the most. Yeah. And I would have to say, every time I listened to this song, it was like it put me in, in a very specific emotional place. It gave of just you like, a sweet emotion. It did. It did. And it was just, it was nice to listen to. It was very pleasant to listen to. It's a good driving music. Yeah, it is. Um, whereas the next song is like, I had to be in a certain mood to want to listen to it. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but, but yeah, we'll and, get then, to that and one. then also, this is, a, this is a epic diss track. 
What? So this song is about Joe Perry's girlfriend that Steven Tyler hated. <laughs> Talking about things that nobody cares. Oh. Wearing out things that nobody wears. Oh, I thought that... Oh. Okay. I thought that was more of like a nobody understands us. Kind of no, like. this is... This is Saying this like I don't I don't give a crap what you're talking about. Um, I don't care. You know you you look stupid. Uh, saying can't say baby where I'll be in a year. He said that the subtext of that is says but I know it'll be a million miles away from you. Mm, wow. I thought that was like I don't know where my emotions are going to carry me. This is really dark. Oh my gosh, you're ruining this song for me. Yeah. And just what do you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it absolutely is. I think that's kind of the brilliance of this song is that it's but it's just like that's true. But it's kind of like he's he's still like, I don't know, there was still kind of like looking at their history. There was like this weird sexual tension between them. They hated it. It was like this love hate relationship that they had. Yeah. Um, You know, it was kind of just like, I hate you. But at the same time, I kind of want you really bad. And so. You know, I think it just gives it gives this just this sultry sense throughout the whole song with that that intro is just very provocative feeling. And then, you know, you've got those harder riffs coming in. It still has like this. Mm-hmm. It's still just like it's the song is just sexy. Yeah. Yeah. From start to finish. To but like but in different it. shades throughout. Yeah. It's like that that hook is so smooth mm-hmm. um, and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Even the outro solo section has its own like sexiness to it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's just the song just makes you feel good. So I don't know if this was mentioned in any documentary or anything you've seen about Aerosmith, but there is what sounds like clapping during the interlude, but it's reversed. That, I had not heard anything that, about that. Okay, because that's what it sounds like to me. And it sounds like they're clapping, but they took the track. That'd be and interesting it. if that's what it was. Because I, I, I might have listened to, to it kind of critically. And I'm like, what is that? And then I don't know. Yeah, huh? I never noticed that. But, that, but it's like you say that, and I'm like, I know what sound you're talking about. Yeah, and it, it sounds like something they would do, considering that this is like the talk box, and uh-huh. they're putting sound effects in some of their songs, and like that makes total sense. Yeah, you know, even as a I can, Rock I can, group. I could get behind that theory. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've got this. Uh, we've got this great um, outro riff slash yeah. solo section that comes in at the end. It just kind of like just takes the whole song to a whole other level. Yeah, and um, just it's a really great like reimagining of um, the the verse riff or no the mm. uh, the intro riff. It's it's a more aggressive version, but it's still the same root of that bass line from the beginning. Oh of the yeah, song. it's this. I think it's the same riff. They just take it down to E. You know, and I think they, they I think they they, they 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 kind of put some instead of at the end. They just just kind of make it drive more. And they yeah they definitely do. And so to me, it's kind of like this is this kind of actually puts things to where we can kind of like move forward with a more straightforward sound going into the next part of the set. Right. Which the next song would be Walk This Way off the same album. Yes. This was my first Aerosmith song. As was probably everybody else's. Probably a lot of people's first Aerosmith song. It Uh, was for a lot of people the the mainstreams because this was their first big hit. 
this this song I used to play in the band. We mentioned Thunder like last week when we were talking about yeah, the news. Yeah, uh-huh. we played this song in the band we were in, um, and it was it was like the first song I ever performed in front of an audience, mm-hmm. not as a like recital. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was this fun. this is a. Um... This was one of the first classic rock songs I ever remember listening to and going, whoa, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's, it's one of the most iconic riffs ever written. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also it's a hard riff to play during a verse. Yeah. It is very technical, and mm-hmm. you can see the side of, of what's he doodle face. Hey, uh, the other guitar player. Brad Woodford. Yeah, you can see his technical side. Yeah. Coming out on that. Uh-huh. So... This song almost did not get made. This was oh this goodness. was one of the last songs on the album to be finished because they wrote that riff pretty early into the recording, uh-huh. but they couldn't figure out lyrically or vocally what to do with it because you had to move so fast on it that they were just they couldn't find a pocket to put everything in. And Stephen was like for two weeks was trying to figure out, and they were just about ready to to just go. Ah, eh, well, I guess. We can't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. He took a recording break and went to go see the movie Young Frankenstein. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. No. It's a great uh, classic comedy movie. Okay. It's like a it's like a a spoof on old Frankenstein horror movies from the 30s. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, obviously, it's parody. Right. It's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Okay. It's Mel Brooks movie. Oh. Okay. And Gene Wilder is 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 Frankenstein, the the scientist, mm-hmm. uh, Frankenstein, <laughs> and um, the guy that plays uh, Igor, but he calls himself Igor. Oh my! And he there's a line where he's saying, "Walk this way, this way," and he and he's of course he's humped over, and so like they take that to mean as we're gonna walk this way like you do, and so that's when. Steven Tyler saw that and got that phrase stuck in his head, and that became the whole basis of the song. Oh, wow. And so he came back the next day and was just like, I got it. I know what to do. And then... That's the kind of stories that I enjoy doing this podcast for. Yeah. Those are, those are the <laughs> cool ones where, you know... Where it's like, I would have never known that. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I loved that movie before I heard that story, and so it was like, when he said that scene, I was just like, I know exactly what scene he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a really cool story because that ended up being the big, big. I mean, Sweet Emotion was also a really big hit, but that's the. But that hit. was the one that that was the the lead single that got them like it was a top ten hit, and, oh my gosh. Yeah, and every, turned them into arena stars. Every rock guitar player wants to learn how to play that song, mm-hmm. or has already learned how to play that song. Yeah. It, it's it's right up there with like you really got me and like crazy. Train. It's one of those. It's one of those songs that just like. That really hits kids that are like going, oh man, I gotta learn how to play guitar after hearing that. It's yeah. one of it's one of those hook songs that just mm-hmm. like that gets you right. It's it's like a, a back in black or yeah. that you just as a kid you hear and you go, that's the coolest song I've ever heard. I, I know, yeah, and that's the that's the kind of riffs that are really hard to write, uh-huh. and so it's good that they were able to put that in something. I think the biggest thing that strikes me about this song now is just how good it sounds. Like, what do you mean sound engineering wise? Sound engineering yeah. wise. 
that was the I think the newest perspective that I gleaned from the song, kind of preparing for this episode, and like showing it to you, showing it to I've got a couple other people that I kind of test playlists on, and mm-hmm. just go tell me what you think of this. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that I kept noticing as I was listening, I was just like, gosh, this song just sounds good. The guitar sounds it sounds modern. It doesn't sound dated seventies. Uh, well, it doesn't. I wouldn't say it sounds modern. I mean, I guess not modern like 2002, but like it doesn't, it doesn't sound it, like, oh, this it sounds a, like Greta Van Fleet. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, it doesn't sound like a, it doesn't sound dated, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. It doesn't sound like The Doors. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like, there's a lot of 70s music that you listen to and you go, that sounds like it was from the 70s. Yeah. Um, yeah. This stuff sounds like it's from the 90s. It's crazy. Yeah. Like all the songs we've gone through so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had another question about this song. Anyway. Oh yeah, this is another song that I heard Steven Tyler explain line by line mm-hmm. what this song means. Oh yeah, this could be the dirtiest song that was oh. written in the seventies. Oh yeah, no, Ooh. yeah, no I doubt didn't. About it. I did not realize. Yeah. Like I knew what it was about, like because I could catch. But then he started like graphically line by line, and I was just like, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, I I never have tried to figure out all the double entendres of this song because I know enough of them to know that I don't want to know the other ones. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, so he, <laughs> he was just like, he said it was almost an exercise to see how bad can I make it and still get away with it. And mm. sure enough, like, he's just like, oh, there's a lot of stuff in there that just completely blew past the censors. That had they known what it was about, then they yeah. would never have made this a hit single. So... I remember what the question was. So yeah. there's some very fast, almost not melodic lyrics or vocals in this song. Mm-hmm. So was this, would you consider this early rap? I think that, I wouldn't say so, but I think that there is no coincidence that Run DMC's cover of this became the first major rap hit. Oh right, duh. Yeah, okay. Like that was that was the first time that rap hit it big on the charts. Mm-hmm. And it not be like a novelty, like yeah. to where like kind of like hit and I don't I don't want to sound ignorant because I don't want to be incorrect on this, but from my understandings that this was like the first this was like when hip hop like became a mainstream force. Because then it was like from Are you, are you talking about Run DMC? Yeah, mm-hmm. when that came out in eighty six, because then it was after that that you started to have true hip-hop start to hit big with, you know, the gangster rap, all the NWA, Public Enemy, and then and then once you hit the 90s, it just exploded. Yeah. But, like, you trace it back to, like, the first mega hit was Walk This Way. And I think that, you know, because rap wouldn't come around for another really 10 years from that point. Yeah. So to say that this was like the first rap song, I wouldn't say so because there's other songs that have that, right? That kind of style singing in it, but I can definitely see how that was kind of a starting point because okay. I mean it's again it's no coincidence that the rap cover of this song made it big was the first big hit yeah of that genre. So I think that there is some credence to that, although I, okay. wouldn't, I wouldn't fully stake and say that this is where it began. 
Okay. I think it began in other places, but this was an this was one of the many, catalyst. This was one of the many seeds that were sown that led to its rise the next decade. Okay. There you go. That question led into a very interesting discussion. Okay. Yeah. Don't you love when that happens? <laughs> I do love when that happens. Um, I think that's a great stopping point, and we should go to the next song. Yes. So the next song is... Train Kept the Rolling. Train Kept the Rolling. Off of... Their second album. Their second album. Uh, okay. Get Your Wings. There you go. So this is, this is the album, actually, that in my studying for this, that I actually found that I enjoyed the most. Really? And the one that I kind of, like wanted to keep going back to and digging. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great material on that second album that should we ever look at their 70s era again, I'm probably going to pull pretty heavily from. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is kind of like... It's like how a lot of second albums are where they're kind of like transitioning, but like mm-hmm. this was a good... Because the first album is a really basic blues record. It's good, but it's like you can tell that it's not quite Aerosmith yet. Yeah. And then the second album still has a lot of that great blues working, including this one. Including this one, yeah. Um, But it's, you can see where they're about to go on Toys in the Attic. Oh, yes, you can. Uh, This song, I think, shows a little bit of their experimental side. Yeah. And we'll get to that kind of in the middle, especially. Uh Uh-huh. But it'll start off with that guitar that sounds really blues, and it definitely sounds like there's a train. Yeah, a train whistle. Yep. Uh, and so, simple but fast blues yep. for the most part. Uh-huh. And then we get to the interlude. Where, where you think the song's over, but then the drums come in. Well, you, there's fake, there's like an audience. Fake fake live audience. Fake wasn't, live audience. Okay, they they tried to, to get a live recording, and they just never got one they were happy with, so they were just like, let's just like, pretend it's It sounded it's live. live. It fooled me. Yeah, they pulled it from a live Aerosmith concert, but they it was the applause. The applause, but the they re-recorded the instruments. But the but the all the instrumentation and vocals are in the studio. It sounds live. Yeah, they did. A, they did went through a lot of trouble <laughs> to make sure it sounded live. Did they record it in a like a like a venue, like an actual venue? No, but they did. I think they did some hallway recording to kind of get that that echo and reverb oh, to okay. it. So, yeah, that'll do it. Um. This is one of my favorite songs on the set because this oh, is... Oh, this is my least favorite. God. Because <laughs> to me, this is one where it's it's just more you get to get the bask in the in the musicianship. There's That's so true. much oh, great yeah. guitar playing. There's, there's a great guitar solo in this. Which I'm, one? There's like eight the, guitar the, solos the, in the song. The uh, live final one. The Where it's got the great tapping section. And it's, it's got that really weird like... I know it's not a whammy bar because they didn't have those yet, but it almost sounded like, well, it might have been, actually, where he does some weird pinch harmonic. Yeah. I think that's that's just the greatest, like, half a second in the whole song. Hmm. And probably in, like, the whole set. Oh, interesting. <laughs> See, to me, this song is just, like, it's it's just so much fun, and it's uh, it just has, it's the most aggressive song on the in the set it's just the one where you just get to kind of really see them as musicians less of you know they kind of get to break out of that box a little bit yeah so yeah i've always i've always loved this song i've always this has always been one of my favorite aerosmith songs Mm -hmm. just because there's just musically there's so many interesting things to pull out of it especially that turn in the middle of the song yeah where it's just you're just like 
ooh, I was not expecting the song to go this direction. And yeah. oh, oh, yeah, we've got this intense, more intense tempo. Yeah. And yep. um, Steven Tyler is great throughout this whole song. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, they did not write this song. This is a cover. This is like an old, Ooh. old blues standard that's been covered by like nearly everybody. I'm noticing a 70s theme, but their version has kind of become like the uh, like the official version. Like their version is the most popular one. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering because I I didn't really notice any double entendres in this song. Oh, uh, so. this this whole song train kept a rolling. It just sounds like basic blues. Like, oh, we're on the train, the train no, keeps a rolling. No, the train kept rolling. a rolling is, is sex. Oh, man. The tr- like, Quit ruining these songs. Oh, my God. Like a, like a train that's like you, you know, okay. that's yeah. the ultimate. Yeah, okay, whatever. Man, I just wanted to, okay. No, the only the only <laughs> double on, the only one that's not a double entendre was the last song. Mm, yeah, thank goodness. Um, but no, yeah, they just they just didn't write this double entendre. But, I mean, just train kept the rolling all night long. I was just thinking, like, overnight train trip, okay? Man. <laughs> I'm just... You're good, welcome. Goodness. Oh, okay. Whatever. A heave and a hoe, but I just couldn't tell her so. I I didn't even understand most of the lyrics, so... Yeah, well, that's, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> okay. That's true. That is what you're here for. Yeah. Um... Also, the, uh, the, I think the craziest thing about this is that um, neither Aerosmith guitar players play any of the solos in this song. They Wait, actually, what? They actually have session guitar players playing the solos in this. Oh, wow. That's a little bit sad. I mean, I, it's, I, it still ranks high for me just because right. it's, it, the solos themselves are so good. But that my favorite lick in this whole thing wasn't even them. And it's two different guitar players, one for the uh, the, the slower version of the mm-hmm. song and then a different one for the live version of the song. Mm-hmm. But, of course, when they do play the song live, which is this is like one of their big live songs, of course, they like rip oh, on this song. Oh, right. They rip it apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so. They do play it. They do play and then we songs. have a really big epic ending. I mean, you've got the gong that goes off, like... When it's like, when it goes up, boom, dun, 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 Like, I mean. Oh, yes, I know what you're talking about. What a freaking just great epic ending to the song. Which. I'm a sucker for big epic endings. Yes, you are, because you try to end every song with a trash can ending when we're playing music. Because that's what people want live. That's true. Well, not on every song. No, no on, that's was, not what I want as an audience member. Yeah, I, that's, want, that's... I want cool transitions, like this transition that we're about to talk about uh, into "Dream On." Yeah, our so final the, song. So this is this song has kind of become like their big iconic song next to "Walk This Way." Yes, but this song was originally not a hit. Was it their first album? Yep, first album. Okay, uh, first single. It sounds like their first album because the sound engineering is a little bit not yeah. there, uh-huh. you know, which is very common with first albums. Yeah. Um, but it's still, I would say, 
kind of a well-written song. There's some great musical ideas. I don't feel this, like they were produced very well. No. Uh, the first album's kind of rough to listen to just from a sonic standpoint. Yeah. Um, but I think also this has the most sophisticated musical ideas in them. Like with that main guitar riff, like that's not like a blues riff. That's that's more of like a you know drawing from more classical influences, yeah. which is what's you know Steven Tyler. His dad was a classical pianist. Mm-hmm. That's what he grew up on, mm-hmm. and he's the one that wrote this song. Not oh. only the lyrics, but the music. He wrote this song before Aerosmith was even formed. He wrote this oh. when he was he wrote this when he was seventeen years old. I mean, there are some there are some parts in this song where it seems a little bit repetitive. You know, where they'll go down to the. It sounds almost like maybe. B minor, I don't know, but they'll they'll play the major chords of the song when he's singing "Dream On." You know, mm-hmm. um, it's like a, a six minor and then a five and a four, mm-hmm. which is well, six minor five four five, which is the same chords that you'll go through for like subdivisions. Yeah, is like four five six minor, um, and so a lot of songs will have that. But then they'll jump down to the three minor and do that build like that. I feel like they do that way too much in this song. You know so I mean? you're not a Dream On fan. I'm not a... I am not a listen to Dream On on loop fan. Well, I don't think really anyone is. It's not that kind of song. Right. I mean, but, I'll, I'll listen to it. But I mean, like, this is, this is again, like, one of the, the big moments of any live show of theirs. This is like the... Everyone sings along, everyone puts their hands in the air, and everyone's waiting for that big Steven Tyler scream. Oh, yeah. Which I think that that's actually the greatest moment he's ever vocally put to tape. That that scream at the end. Yeah, where he's singing Dream On, mm-hmm. but it's like a million octaves up. Yeah. And, and it's, it fades it's, out really weird. And that's what I mean by like the sound. This is, this is a bit. raw song. I think this yeah. is actually a song that is better when performed live. I've I heard live versions so of this song, and I'm just like, that. this makes more sense here. But it's still, this is one of the most important songs of their career. And it is it is a great song. Because it was like their first single, you said. It was right? their first single, and after Toys in the Attic got big, they re-released the song, and it became a hit after that. Whoa. You'll find that bands do that a lot. If they, hmm. if they release songs that they know are good, and they know these could be hits. But um, they weren't. But they're just not big enough yet. Then when they get big, they'll go back and re-release. That's what David Bowie did with Space Oddity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a minor hit, but then after he got big with Ziggy Stardust, he goes back and re-releases, and it becomes a number one hit. Mm-hmm. And people think that it's a new song, but he's just like, no, this came out in 69. Huh. So, wow, wait, David Bowie's that? Yo, yeah. go. You need to listen to our David Bowie episode then. Hey, there you go. People who are listening to the podcast, listen to the David No, his Bowie first album came out in 67. That is old. Yeah. That is a mm-hmm. long time ago. Yep. Yeah, you need to you need to go listen to that record or that anyway, episode. Back so, to Dream On. Uh that uh I mean there's really not too much else to say. I mean oh I had something to say about it. But it was probably something along the lines of, of the sound engineering not being where it should be, I think, for this song. It doesn't really do the song justice because there's some really good musical ideas here. There's some really great theme and variation as far as the same chord progression, mm-hmm. but there's slightly different vocal melody, slightly different lyric rhythm. 
Yeah. Um, I think that this is... redeems the song. I think, and it's also really impressive that he wrote this song when he was 17. Oh, yeah. No. I wrote music when I was 17, but it was not this good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, so. just, you know, again, this has become one of the defining songs of theirs, and it's become one of the defining rock ballads. That's true. One of the one of the earliest yeah. power ballads, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, we mentioned in the Molly Crew episode that "Home Sweet Home" was a was a big hair metal ballad hit, but yeah. this was before that. Yeah, this is seventy three. Yeah, this was at least ten years before. You know, this was kind of like you know, you know, you would put this in league with like "Stairway to Heaven" as far as just like Ooh. I'm not talking about in quality, but as far as like. Notoriety and, oh, okay. and popularity. I get okay. This I'll, is a immensely popular song. I will. I will agree with that. Yes. So, <laughs> but okay. I, at the same time, it's a good way to end the set. It's, it's kind a great of it's way to it's a good set. cathartic, especially that scream. That's kind of I always look for what's the what's the the big emotional release part of the set to where it's like the whole set builds to that moment, mm-hmm. and that scream is that. Is the big release of the yeah? Of so the set. from back to the saddle with that big opening, mm-hmm. that great opening. You've then, got you start with a a, a a triumphant scream to yeah. a pained, regretful scream. Yes, right where I was going to go with that. Man, you just oh man, you read my mind. Okay, anyway, so from that song to this song, there's our Aerosmith songs. Yeah, so. Uh, we're going to take another small break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our bonus song and uh, we'll give our final thoughts. So stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Aerosmith and about the songs that we had picked for the band. So now it's time to talk about the bonus song. Yes, the bonus song. So what is that? Well, the bonus song is a song by a related artist, whether they're related by maybe it was an artist's side project or they toured together or something like that. Or it could just be that they're the same genre. Or in some cases, it's just Lucas's whim. Um, I don't think it's ever been just my Well, band. yeah, it was with uh, U2 and the um, I Predict Riot. No, because they were on tour together. Oh, yeah, they were. Okay. But there was a story there, and I thought that's why you picked it. Anyway, um, <laughs> all that to say, this is also in the Spotify playlist that we have our other six Aerosmith songs. So yes. very easily accessible. Um, it's right after Dream On. So You don't have to listen to it in order. It's not. I don't also... Arrange it to where yeah. it's sequenced. It's not part of the arc. Yeah. But it's still a really good song. This the, is a song we play in our band. The GNR version is better. No, I disagree. It is, but... I disagree. This song is still pretty good. It is Nazareth's Hair of the Dog. Yes. Um, so the connection is just... It's... It's... 70s. 70s. Uh, you've got the talk box. Yep. And... With bagpipes, I think. Well, they do bagpipes live. No, not in the recording. Okay. I've never heard bagpipes in that song. Okay. <laughs> Unless it's, like, really faint in the background. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
I can't even think of where bagpipes would fit. Well, I thought it was bagpipes through the talk box or through something. No, you're thinking of Long Way to the Top. I am not thinking of Long Way to the Top. Because that's only Maybe time. I am. That's the, that's Maybe the only, you're right. That's the only time I've ever heard bagpipes in a rock song. Shoots and Ladders. No, that's new metal. Never mind. Yeah, um, rock and roll. <laughs> uh, anyway, they do have the very interesting talk box interlude, mm-hmm. um, which we try to pull off in our band. And it doesn't work. It, well, it kind of works. It doesn't work. Okay, whatever. But that's just it, my opinion. It's got a very interesting like measure count during the break. Yes, that that's something that threw us off. That a that lot. that threw us off when we were trying to cover this song uh-huh. uh, because they'll have like four measures of just the talk box, and then they'll actually go into the main chord progression. Mm-hmm. Um, but this riff, um, this is this is my dad's favorite song of all time. Really, the I didn't GNR know. GNR version. <sighs> I mean, the he GNR said, version isn't bad. I don't want you to get that impression. Just right. I think it's. I think it's great. Yeah, personally. it is great. And and I prefer listening to that version sometimes. Now, if I'm listening headphones, like I have two different styles of music that I like to listen to: headphone music versus mm-hmm. loudspeaker music. GNR is loudspeaker music, and the Nazareth version is head headphone music. Hmm. You know what I mean? Interesting. I like to listen to this version more if I'm just by myself. Okay. So, if that redeems your opinion of my musical taste. No, it doesn't, but I, <laughs> I'll respect it. Uh, to um, me, the the slowed down version of the original just it has a little bit more menace to it. It's, it's, a, it's not as much of a party song as it is with Guns N' Roses to where it's, it's more of like a let's just get wild and crazy uh, I feel like the original is more of just like it's really setting more of a darker mood, and I think I like that more. Uh, see, I see it the other way around, but okay. At least we have the same reason for why we like yeah. this song. Because anyway. again, to me, it's just like you know, I don't always equate. And I'm not saying you are, but like equate faster as better or heavier as better. No, no, there's, there's certainly a time and place for that. Yeah. In my opinion, I think also it comes down to what version you're more familiar with. That's, I've listened to the Nazareth version a lot more, but there are times that I, you know, do that and then I hear a cover version. I'm just like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. That's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, just not the case with this. Just not the case with this one. I think, I just, I think that everything came together perfectly for this song. Mm hmm. Well, just, I, I it think, sounds exactly how it should. I think it. I think it did too. And there's some extra little percussion pieces in there, I think, like a, and I and I think that the uh, the vocals are a lot better on this version. I think. Well, I mean, I just yeah okay, because at that point in Axl Rose's career, it was just kind of like he was almost losing it at that point. Yeah. Losing the appetite for destruction kind of sound, and the Nazareth vocals are it's so right good. in the pocket. They're, they sound really edited, or not edited, but um, I guess yeah, processed. Yeah, um, but, to, but again, to us now, but that's just but again, style it's it's perfect for what the song is. It is. Oh yeah, no no doubt. Um, very much like um, I hate to reference Ghost yet again, mm-hmm. but there there are times where they'll do some vocal processing that just sounds like 
really weird if anybody else were to do it in any other song. Mm -hmm. But this is one of those cases where Fred's great. Yeah. And this riff is also fantastic. Oh, yeah. Great riff. I had to mention that. So, so anyway, that's a great bonus song. Uh-huh. I, I didn't want to make it my favorite because... You know, sweet Emotion sweet is emotion just so is good. Just so good. I'm uh, glad that you agree with me on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wouldn't right. be my favorite song to perform. Walk This Way would be my favorite song. Yeah. To but my favorite song is do Sweet Emotion, and that's... Yeah. I'm listening to the music, so... Mm -hmm. Anyway. So, let's get final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um... So before this, I had only really listened to all the way through Sweet Emotion and Walk This Way. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad that it was, even though they were my favorite songs, I'm glad I was able to experience like Back in the Saddle and Last Child and the other two songs. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> because there's still more good Aerosmith out there. Oh, and yeah. I mentioned we're, that. We're, we're just scratching the surface. I mentioned that with some other artists that I'm now getting into more and more. Mm -hmm. And I think this will yet again be another artist that I'm looking forward to a volume two. Oh, I can't wait to get for. the 80s. Is or actually, at the very least, the 80s. The 80s, 90s is actually my favorite era of Aerosmith. Then, then there, Those are where my favorite songs are. Then there besides you go. Sweet Emotion. Sweet Emotion sits on top of then like my second, third, fourth. That's all from come back era. there you go yeah I'm, if it's anything as good as this then i'm looking forward to an 80s era mm -hmm. aerosmith yeah um but i don't know if i'm at the point aerosmith wise where i would go out and just like hey i'll listen to this whole album yeah you know i can see myself getting to that point in the future mm -hmm. but i'm just not there right now yeah so still it's, like the band. It's, it's still a discovery they're they're a great band i still like them I'd still listen to one of their songs if it came on the radio. Your appreciation has deepened. But my appreciation has deepened. You've, you've discovered new yes. songs that you now love that you didn't know before. Which is the point of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. So, um, And I would definitely, once again, encourage everybody, go listen to the songs. It makes no sense for you to listen to us talk about it for an hour and a half and then not spend the 30 minutes to listen to yourself. Even so. if you've heard the song before, yes. still go listen to them. Yes. And again, the link in the description is there along with a link to uh, send us some some money to help us improve the podcast yep and uh just also make sure you leave a review leave um a comment on who you would like for us to cover in a future episode we yep. are taking suggestions mm -hmm. we may not take every suggestion but it will definitely probably influence me on knowing what the people want yep so leave us on whatever platform that you're listening to um let us know what you would like to hear from us we still need your final thoughts. Oh, yeah. I completely jumped. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I noticed you were about to close, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll back up just a minute. Um, I wouldn't... If anything, it actually... Listening to the 70s Aerosmith made me appreciate the comeback era more. Even though I didn't really even listen to it a lot, I kind of delved into it because I wanted to get that sweet shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... It made knowing their their story more and having a better understanding of kind of the rise and fall, how great that resurrection truly yeah. was. I am now actually finding that I love that later era even more. So it didn't even appreciate or increase your appreciation for this era. No, I mean, it was already it, it was already really high. As much and as I it did, did for the next. I would say the one area where my appreciation increases that I found that I really loved that second album. I had never mm -hmm. listened to it all the way through. And that was the mm -hmm. one, listening through those old albums, I was just like, okay, this is the one that I'm going to probably 
come back to. Okay. Um, but to me, it was just, it's, studying for this has gotten me way more pumped to do the volume two. Yeah. Okay. So that's, well, I mean, you can't do a volume two without doing a volume one. Yeah. But just, <laughs> again, just knowing more of the context and yeah. just going, okay, yeah. here we go. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's been our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, hopefully we shouldn't have any more hiccups with how the episodes are coming out. Right. So, um, or hiccups in general, they kind of suck. Yeah, it's learning <laughs> for us as well. So, in in ways, they're they're fine. But yeah, we'll see you guys next time. We're gonna be uh, jumping up to the '80s and '90s next week with a kind of underground band. A kind of, I mean, they they really toe the line. They, yeah, I would say they would because I haven't heard of them before. But yeah, not their music. But I'm super excited about it. One of your favorite bands, I think. Right? They've they've become one in recent years. So so that'll yeah. be a very interesting. So stay episode. stay tuned. For that. And thank you so much for listening. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music.